Abba, Father, we just thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for another year and another opportunity to open up this beautiful gift you've given us that is your word. Or do you make promises to us about this book, about these words, about this? You, you promise us that your word always accomplishes everything you send it to accomplish. We thank you for that. I look at my own heart and I know your word has a lot of work to do. Or do you promise that your word is living and active, sharper than the sharpest sword, that it pierces between the, the, the bone and the marrow, between the soul and the spirit, that, that there's nothing, there's no hiding from this scalpel of yours. So we don't even attempt to hide. We just, we, we open up our hearts. We lay ourselves out before you. We say, we trust you, great physician. We trust you to pinpoint the cancerous ideas, the lies that exist in our minds and in our emotions that come from the world around us, that come from our bad experiences, that come from the enemy himself. Find them, Holy Spirit. Seek them out, and with the scalpel of your word, cut them out of us. Pray they would be removed completely. That we would be moving toward a place where there's no thought in our heads that's not also in yours. We ask, to that end, we ask that you would replace the lies that you remove with truth that will grow, that will shape us, that will shift us, and that will bear fruit of righteousness for your namesake that you, Father, would be glorified as we bear much fruit. We want to be like you. We want to be changed. We want to be shaped. We want to be made like you. Daddy God, we want to be just like you. Pray that as we see you clearly through your word, that we would be transformed. In the name of Jesus, amen. I like talking to Jesus. Amen. It's so cool that Jesus always shows up when his kids get together. Isn't that awesome? 
Like, that Jesus was like, hey, you guys can't hang out without me. <laughs> I mean, isn't that what he said? He said, hey, I'm with you, even to the end of the age. When, there, when, there's, when there's, you know, one or two of you gathered together in my name, I'll be there in the midst of you. He meant it. I, I like kind of reversing that and kind of making that. Jesus, there's something I, I'm trying to preach this into my own soul. I, I'm trying to preach this into my own emotions because this is the testimony of God's word that God enjoys our presence more than we enjoy his. See, even Penny knows it's true. <laughs> God enjoys our presence more than we enjoy his. That is a shocking statement. But it is the truth. And we're constantly singing songs about, oh, if you would just come down, or Lord, send your presence. That's all foolishness. For us to think for even a moment that God was not around is backward thinking. God's here. And the truth is, God's sitting on the edge of his seat, staring at us, waiting for our attention. And the minute that he has it, he utilizes it fully. So all he's waiting for is for us to turn our eyes and our hearts upon him, and we will encounter him. Now that's going to be different every time. That's never going to be the same. It doesn't mean you're always going to get chills. It doesn't mean you're always going to have that feeling of joy and whatever that, some, that we get in his presence or that we sometimes identify with his presence. Sometimes it's a reality that's true even though we can't feel it. But it's still true. And we need to be aware of that. Every time that we turn our attention towards the Lord, He's listening. Whether we feel that or not. Even if we feel like the skies are brass, I can't get, prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling and they're not going anywhere. Well, that's fine because Jesus is under the ceiling with you. So they can <laughs> bounce right off the ceiling and that's going to be okay. He's right here. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So just put your hand like right here and go, Hi, Holy Spirit. And the sooner we figure that out, he doesn't necessarily live right there, but that's how I, it's where I picture him. It's definitely the most roomy part of in my anatomy. So, so I, if I was the Holy Spirit, that's where I would live. Um, but, uh, but. I, you know, when I talk to the Holy Spirit, which I do often, I speak to the Holy Spirit and just, hey, I, I, do you guys talk to the Holy Spirit, like, personally? But I'm in, like, not just, hey, God, but, like, hey, Holy Spirit. Like, you should, by the way. You really should, because he's right there. I mean, he's one of those people who's like, hey, call me anything. It's, you know, it's cool. But I mean, we don't know his name. Holy Spirit's not a name. It's kind of a title. We don't know his name. That's kind of a fascinating thing. But anyway. We don't know his name. He's the Holy Spirit. We know he's the Spirit of God. He's the Spirit of Christ. He's the Spirit of truth. He's the, we have lots of, we have hundreds of titles for him. But do you know his name? No, because the Bible doesn't tell us his name. Maybe we'll find out his name at some point, but. You know, we know God the Father, and we call him Father. Jesus called him Abba, which is why I call him Abba, which is just, just Aramaic for Daddy or Papa. 
I use all of those. I like those. Whichever one is makes me feel the most like a little kid, that's the one I use in the moment. Really. Because Jesus said, you have to be like this little child to get into the kingdom of heaven. So I'm like, okay. So whichever one makes me feel the most like a little kid in the moment, if it's daddy or papa or, or Abba or whatever, father hardly ever works for that. Because have you ever seen like a two-year-old go, father? <laughs> no. Right? That's <laughs> My kids have an array of names for me. I'm sure that that's, you know, my kids call me Pops and Paul and, and you know, a lot of weird names <laughs> I have four redheaded children, just FYI. You will likely hear a lot about them in class, because I talk about them often. My oldest son is 15 years old. He'll be 16 in February, which scares the crap out of me. Um, and then uh, his name is Isaac, and then my next son's name is Aiden, and he is 15 years. He's 14 years old. Um, he'll be 15 in May. And then Ian, uh, the love of Ronnie's life. Ian. Is she not in here? No, no but he is. Just ask her. Um, uh, <laughs> he is uh, nine years old. And then Lily is my daughter, and she is six years old. And yeah, right? Yeah, she's in first grade. That's just like, yeah, I know. Ian is going to the middle school next year. It's just, it's, now they start middle school in fifth grade up there, so that's weird, but still. Um, yeah, I know, it's crazy, isn't it? Think of me, I mean, I'm, I'm, my beard is turning gray, I'm getting gray hair on my head, and I'm 39 years old, and. I'm getting old. What's that? I think if my beard ever went all white, I kind of like the kind of like, you know, the, the accent kind of that it is right now. and I'm okay with that. But if it ever went like all white, I would probably shave it because that's weird. People are going to start calling me Santa. I'm not okay with that because that just draws attention back to the belly. And I'm not, that's just not cool. Then you have an excuse. You can say... But I'm going to feel pressure to really grow it out, like, so that it's huge, and I'm going to start laughing, like, ho, ho, ho. That's, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it. I've got a job, thanks. Plus, the truth is, I have always told, I've always told my children the truth about Santa. They've never believed that Santa gave them presents. Even more fun. They always believed that St. Nicholas was a man who loved Jesus hundreds of years ago, and he gave gifts to children, but he's no longer alive he died and he's in heaven with jesus right now and we just remember him through this character we call santa claus i tell them the truth so if any of you didn't know that that was the truth about santa i'm sorry i just crushed you we, i promise not to mention the tooth fairy okay um <laughs> what <laughs> there is someone in this room right now who is really trying not to cry because they honestly didn't know that but they they realize instantly that everyone else knew this already except for them and they're like don't cry don't cry that's what's going on 
Oh my gosh. Yeah, I know we haven't even talked about the Bible yet, so um, we should probably do that. <laughs> I've been praying all summer about what book we should go through because um, I always pick one of the epistles of Paul. Paul's my favorite author in the in in the Bible. I always pick one of the epistles of Paul to to journey with the class through. We've done... Uh, Romans, Ephesians, Colossians, 1 Corinthians, and Song of Solomon, which is not an epistle of Paul, but we've done it anyway. And then, um, what? Um, I just remember the teaching that you did a while ago on Song of Solomon. Yeah, we've, oh, okay. Well, we, I mean, who knows? We might do it again. Um, but, uh, so I felt drawn to the book of Philippians for this year. I was I couldn't decide between Philippians and Galatians for a while, but then when I sat down to actually study Galatians, I just didn't have that spark. I love Galatians, but just for this study, I just wasn't feeling like that unction. So as soon as I started reading Philippians, I was like, ooh, okay, yeah, this is the one. So we're going to be going very slowly through the book of Philippians. Please understand, I am not interested in making speed through these books, we only got to like Romans chapter like nine last year. <laughs> okay. And we now Romans lends itself to that kind of like really slow study. Philippians is not as deeply theological as Romans. So we probably won't take as much time with Philippians as we did with Romans. And, and if we get through Philippians, we'll move on to another book. So, um, yeah, it'll be good stuff anyway. She okay? <laughs> so, did I wonder if she heard what I said about Sam? <laughs> yes, that's what it was. Yeah, my childhood is dead. I'm not even two. <laughs> <laughs> I thought she was. I thought she was a year old. Oh, okay. Okay. I thought she was already one. My bad. I'm already making her older than she is. <laughs> She's never going to believe in Santa. She's going to be on the couch. You know, this, the psychiatrist. I have this memory of this bearded man telling me Santa's dead. <laughs> I just don't even know where it's coming from. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. She's in a family full of Jorises. If that messes her up, she's in big trouble. Okay. <clears throat> just saying. I love that family, but she's got a lot more to contend with than. Will That's what I'm, you know. Yes, she kind of, she's pretty much already there. <laughs> it's just like a dramatically sped up version of Barry's laugh. <laughs> Did she slap her knee yet? Or? I used it. Pastor Barry was was my boss the most the whole six years I was youth pastor here, and I made fun of him mercilessly. And he was his laugh was my ringtone for at least two years. So, so 
have people be like, oh my gosh, you have to send me that ringtone. <laughs> 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 uh, it's a long story, but we did these commercials. <laughs> oh, Lord. We did these terrible commercials. Do you remember the commercials for uh, uh, for for uh, Harvest Party? Oh for the, do you remember the? <laughs> we had and there was this drama that was going on, but there was like these pauses in between these different parts of the drama. So they were showing commercials because it was supposed to be a football game, and so we took popular commercials from that time uh, and and did you know a, a Fort Wayne First Assembly spin. On them, one of them was the Geico commercials that they would say something obvious. <laughs> yeah. You know, does uh, does a woodchuck really chuck wood or whatever? You know, like any, anyway, and and then they would show some stupid example of it. And so ours was, is Pastor Barry's laugh annoying? And then we had Pastor Barry going. <laughs> Just like, ro just rolling on repeat for a good like five seconds. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. And I took the audio off the video and I made it into a ringtone. I probably do. Let me see if I can find it. Guys and girls had impersonated the pastors, and Tess came out impersonating. I think it was Barry. She did a pretty darn good job. It was like spot on. Of impersonating. Pastor Barry. John, do you like it though? Oh yeah, I do very much. Absolutely. Uh, every album. <laughs> <laughs> Same, but wow. I have a whole lot of albums in here. <laughs> a single lot. A whole. <laughs> Is it a problem that I have every album of adults? <laughs> You know that I share my mus I share my musical thing with my wife as well, so Okay. There's no shame in like Adele. I have no shame for it, but she's just like every album. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like, I also have a Landis Morris set right here. You got something to say about that? All I heard was s'mores. Alanis Morris set. Yeah, I mean I've got I've got some really embarrassing music in here, but I'm but you know. You don't know who Alanis is. She was, you know, I was completely in love with her as a teenager because she was this crazy woman and she could really sing. She was kind of a hippie weirdo. Like, anyway. Anybody know her? Know that? Know her music? Yes. She was the one that did the song, like, Isn't It Ironic? That song, you know, that song. Okay, that's, that's her. Thank you. <laughs> it's 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 nineties alternative music. Oh heck yeah, I'm a little Was my music as as a teenager. Oh you, she's great. She kind of was amazing. Okay, so let's open up okay, let's talk about Philippians. Now that you know you tell me I got two hours and I'm just waggling on the T. Woo! Here we go. Alright. <clears throat> So, the book of Philippians. Now, I, I hate to do this to you, but we need to spend a little bit of time. You've got to know biblical interpretation, my friends. You need to know who the book was written to. You need to know why the book was written. You need to know who wrote the book. Because there's stuff that's going to be in the letter that has everything to do with 
why the book was written and who it was written to that you're not going to understand unless you know why it was written, who wrote it, and, and who it was written to. We are not out to find out what this means to me today. No, we want to know what it meant to the original author and reader of the text. Once we know that, we can draw out eternal principles from it. But we need to know what it meant to the original people who read it the very first time. Because it doesn't really mean anything different to you. Does that make sense to everybody? That process is called exegesis. Okay, that's your big word of the day, although there'll be lots more. I love my I love vocabulary. Okay, so exegesis. Okay, and that's Jesus with a G, not with a J. Okay, E-X-E-G-E-S-I-S, exegesis. Okay, and my, my college professors used to say, we do exegesis so we don't get extra Jesus. <laughs> I remembered it, obviously, but... I used to, every time they said it, I would just roll my eyes. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. But then I repeated it, so there you go. And the gift goes on. Let the puns roll on. Um, I'm a big fan of puns. And usually in the winter, when I'm bored and I can't walk around outside anymore, I will start doing a pun a day on my Facebook page. Just... Go find one and throw them out there. I'm not doing that right now because it's still nice outside, but it's going to happen. Just be ready. The puns, they are a-coming. Um, I just love good puns. There's nothing I can do about it. And I have seen a couple really good ones lately that I like. I've got to save those. Just screenshot. Save it. So... <laughs> My wife looks at our Google Photos and she's like, there's all these puns in here! I'm like, sorry, I, just, I can't help myself. Anyway, exegesis. The process of finding the original meaning of the text. That's what it is, okay? Uh, if you take a class called hermeneutics, oh, yeah. hermeneutics yeah. will teach you to do a proper exegesis. So, yay, hermeneutics. It's a weird name, but it's a great thing. You need to know how to study this book. So let's talk about Philippi, the city where the, this church is that Paul, to him, whom Paul is writing. He's writing to the saints at the church in Philippi, which he established roughly 11 years before his writing of this letter, while he was on his second missionary journey, which can be found in Acts chapter 16. This is the place where Paul and Silas were walking around. They had preached to the Jews, which they always did first. Paul always believed in preaching to the Jewish people in a region before he would move on to the Gentiles. That was a big thing for him. Because God gave the message of salvation to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles, Paul would do the same. Problem was, he would go to the place where the Jews usually met, which was almost always by the river. That was just kind of a thing they did. If they didn't have a, uh, a building to meet in, which most of the time they didn't, there just wasn't a Jewish population to, to have, you know, enough to raise money to have a uh, synagogue in most of these towns in the Roman Empire, they would go and meet by the, side, by the riverside and they would 
on Sabbath, and they would talk about the, the Bible and stuff, Paul would go as a guest rabbi, and he would speak. And he would talk about Jesus, and usually that only happened once, because they would kick him out. But he often would take a couple people with him that were like, I want to hear more about this Jesus guy. Okay, And then that would be the beginning of the church there in, in whatever place it was. In this particular situation, there was a woman named Lydia who sold purple cloth, okay? And she was one of the first people to respond to the message of the gospel in Philippi. And she was kind of hanging out. And then Paul and Silas were walking through the marketplace and they had this demon lady who had a spirit of divination upon her and she would tell the future, quote unquote. It was a lot like our basic, you know, palm reader, psychic kind of whatever that we have nowadays. Angola, the town where I live, has one on the north side and the south side, kind of like saying, you're entering Angola. Welcome to this region. Uh, it's a really fascinating. I, I, I curse that place every time I drive by it. I really do. I, I do. May you be confused. May you, the spirit of divination, be deaf in the name of Jesus over that place. So that she's like, I, I just imagine her in there like reading someone's palm and then being like, oh. My Wi-Fi is down, like, you know, I don't know, I don't know, something, something about your lifeline, I, I don't know, see you later. Seen that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, there's bad energy, what happened? <laughs> yes, thank you. Sorry, my corniness is rubbing off, I mean, forgive me. <laughs> Wow. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, so we were, what was I talking about? Oh, so she's following them around and she keeps, she keeps yelling to everyone. Paul and Silas are just trying, just walking through the marketplace. It's there. They're not trying to preach really. They're just being human in the space. And this woman is following them around and she is going, Everyone, these are servants of the Most High God. Listen to them. And Paul, finally, Paul just keeps, he's just fed up. So he turns around and he's like, shut up and come out of her in Jesus' name. And the demon comes out. And now this girl cannot tell the future anymore. So the people that own her are ticked off and they, because they have ruined their business. Paul and Silas ruined my business by casting the demon out of my servant. You're right? So they go to the, they go to the town folks and they're like, these guys are evil, so they throw Paul and Silas in jail after whipping them, by the way, beating them up. Throw them in jail, and this is the prison where Paul and Silas are sitting there in the middle of the night, and they're singing praise to God, and an earthquake comes. You remember this story? This is all out of Acts 16. The earthquake comes, and all of a sudden the chains pop off. How many of you know that's not a normal thing earthquakes do? Okay. It's not like, <laughs> check it out. <laughs> earthquake comes. You don't see YouTube videos of that. That's not normal. Okay, so earthquake comes. They're set free, but they don't go anywhere. They hang around the Philippian jailer. Okay, comes in. He's like, oh, no, all of my, all of my guys are gone. And he's about to take a sword and kill himself because he's ashamed of the fact that he's lost all of his prisoners. Paul's like, dude, don't do that. That guy gets saved, and then this is the beginning of the church at Philippi. Okay, so this is the first time the gospel has been preached in on the continent of Europe. 
Philippi is the capital city of Macedonia. Not a country that exists right now, but it's right, it's right across the Aegean from Greece, if you know that area at all. Okay, um, so But it's the first time the gospel is preached on the continent of Europe. And what? Yes, okay. ish. Yeah. Ish. All right. I'll show you my geography straight. You're good. All right. Yeah, kind of right, right there. So uh, the city no longer exists. I mean, the ruins exist, but there's not a city there anymore. Um, you can go visit the stones that used to be Philippi, but you can't find. There's nobody living there. Um, there's actually Christian cruises that will take you to like all the places where, that Paul wrote letters to. <laughs> Which I'm like, I don't even know. I don't know how I feel about that. Like, what good does it do me to walk around? And, well, there's this. Paul might have sat on this rock. <laughs> Let me sit there and just kind of absorb. No, that doesn't, it's silly. But anyway, I mean, I, the idea of a cruise is good, but let's just go to the Bahamas, right? I mean, come on. I don't understand the Alaska cruise thing either. I mean, Alaska's gorgeous, but I want to be on the beach. Are you with me? No? Anyway. <clears throat> so, yeah. It's the capital city of Macedonia, which this is something that Paul would always do. Paul would go to the urban center <laughs> of a region, and he would target the urban center of the region, and he would plant a church there. <coughs> Paul did not spend a lot of time in the little villages or in the, you know, because he wanted to go where culture was being formed. And culture is always formed out of cities. For you, those of you that are country dwellers, which I am one of them now, okay, and you're like, that's not fair. Well, it's just true. I'm sorry, I love you, but it's just true. It's where people gather, that's where culture is created. And the Apostle Paul would target cities because there were more people there. Okay, God loves people more than plants. The city is where there are more plant, more people than plants. Therefore, God loves the city more than the country. Okay, that's just the way it is. <laughs> I know that's mean, right? But, but, but not at the same time. The Apostle Paul was being strategic. Okay? If he wants to make the biggest impact in a region, he's going to go to the city. Because people come from the country to the city. They can encounter the gospel there and then go back to the country and carry it with them. You with me? Okay? So there he is in Philippi. He planted this church there. It seems to have grown extremely well, to have flourished. This is like the only uh, apostolic letter, or one of the only apostolic letters that Paul wrote to one of his former church plants that he doesn't have anything bad to say. Okay, Most of the other churches that he wrote to, it was like smackdown time. Like somebody was like sending Paul a letter going, please, will you just, will you end this argument? We're talking about whether or not we should be circumcised and we're freaking out. And everybody's like, you know, and, and that, that's Galatians, by the way. In Galatians, there was this group of people that had come to the, to the city and had been like, you can't be a Christian unless you are circumcised. And all the guys, you know, that weren't Jews already were like, excuse me, what? <laughs> I don't remember Paul saying anything about that, my friend. And they, well, that's this has come down from on high. This is the way it is. You're just going to have to deal with it, you know, and then get out their little mini guillotine. And 
Here we go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> it's not cool. Okay. But anyway, so Paul, in response to that, to that whole argument, Paul had to write a letter back to the church going, guys, this is the gospel. That's not the gospel. Listen to the gospel and stop being confused. Okay. Which is, that's what the whole book of Galatians is about. It's about the fact that you do not have to become Jewish to be saved. That Jesus saves Gentiles. And he does not save them by the law. He saves them by faith and believing in what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. Period. So that's what the entire book of Galatians is about. Philippians, we don't see any of that. We don't see any, any you know, problem arising in the Philippian church that Paul has to write a, a letter back and, and set them straight. That's not what's going on. This letter was written by Paul to this group of people because he had a friend, a, a friend of theirs, somebody from their church, that had come to him. His name was Epaphroditus. God bless that guy. Okay? They heard Paul was in jail in Rome, which is where he is when he's writing. They wanted to bless Paul where he was. So they sent Epaphroditus, who had been a friend of Paul's when he was in Philippi, to Paul with some money and some supplies and some other things that Paul needed to take care of him while he was in prison. Uh, the prison systems back then were not as they are today. They didn't provide a lot of the things. So usually family members would have to bring food and that kind of stuff. Well, Paul didn't have family members in Rome. And so the, the churches were sending him aid and they said, Epaphroditus, go take care of Paul while he's in prison, please. Which was this loving, wonderful blessing that the Philippian church sent. Well, Epaphroditus is there with Paul. Epaphroditus has gotten sick now. And Paul is sending a letter back to the Philippian church saying, he's not doing well, so please pray for him. And here's some other instructions. And I'm going to send Timothy to you as well. Okay, are you with me? All right, that's where we are. Okay, so we start with verse 1. Okay, Paul and Timothy. I really, I find this fascinating. Okay, that this letter has dual head. Okay, Paul and Timothy. Uh, whereas we begin our letters with who it's written to, they did as well, but they would start with their own names first. Okay, that's just the way it is. It's it's not dear Paul and Timothy. It was instead of signing the letter at the bottom, you would sign the letter at the top. And if you think about how letters were back then, they were probably rolled up. So it would say on the, they would just open it a little bit, immediately see Paul and Timothy. Hey, it's a letter for Paul and Timothy, guys. And they didn't have to unroll it all the way to find out who it was from. <laughs> I think it's from Paul. Let me get there. Yes, it's from Paul. It just makes sense, right? Okay. So anyway, Paul and Timothy. Now, what I love about this is that Paul put Timothy's name on here. The truth is it was probably Timothy that was uh, that Paul was dictating the letter to. 
Perhaps he was dictating. <laughs> Every time. Monty Python fans in the room? Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> the castle. <laughs> Paul and Timothy. We're never going to get anywhere, guys. Paul and Timothy. Okay. And I love this because the Apostle Paul did this over and over and over again where he would pick up a, uh, another man who was in the faith and he would become a father in the faith to that man and he would raise that person up and he would give them a place of leadership over time as they prove themselves trustworthy, as they prove themselves to have, to, to have a good heart, as Jesus was working on them, as they were learning the doctrine and the, he, would, he would raise them up over time till we are now at the point where the Apostle Paul is writing a letter and it says Paul and Timothy. As if they had equal authority at this moment. That this is this is how Paul invested his life. You see, Paul did this. It, Paul's ministry consisted of two things. He would preach in the in in the public gatherings, and then he, uh, you know, whether it's in the marketplace or at the synagogues or in the school of Tyrannus or wherever, he would preach in public to the crowds. But then every single day, he has men and women, both men and women, not just men, that he's doing life with, that he is, he's able to say things to Timothy like, anything you've seen me do, you can do. That Paul is preaching, not just with words, but with his life with the way that he lived his everyday life. He's able to say to the church, follow me as I follow Christ. Not because he's perfect, but because Paul's on a journey toward Christ, becoming more like Christ, and he's able to say to them, walk this journey with me. <coughs> this isn't a, I'm going to stand up here and preach, and you all have to listen, and then anything else that I do or say, just ignore it. No, this was get, do life with me. Let's walk arm in arm. Let's have long conversations. Let's, let's every day, as often as possible, let's, let's walk and do life together. And I love that. And not only that, but he makes place in leadership for these men and women that he's pouring his life into. Because this is, he had to, because the Apostle Paul was not called to one place. So he would go to a place, he would usually have one or two people with him that were some of those that were doing life with him. He would go to that place, whether it was Paul and Silas, or Paul and Barnabas, or Paul and Timothy, or Paul and, there's lots of Paul ands, because that's how Paul did ministry. If you think about it, that's how Jesus did ministry too. Guys, come live with me for the next three years, and let's do this together. They learned who Jesus was because they lived with him day in and day out. It wasn't just listening to the Sermon on the Mount. Hey, did you catch that podcast of the Sermon on the Mount? I'm telling you what, that's a great guy. I've never met him. But that Sermon on the Mount was awesome. No, Jesus was not interested in people following him on Twitter. People, Jesus wanted people living close to him, seeing who he was and walking life with him. And the Apostle Paul did the same thing. I'm saying to you, if you are feeling a call to any kind of full-time ministry, your 
your preaching slash teaching ministry is about 2% of your ministry life. Please understand that. You're like, I can preach like Billy Graham. Well, good for you. That's great. I'm excited for you. I hope you see that kind of success. Absolutely. But if the other 98% of your life is not being used for ministry, you've wasted your life. As we have seen over and over again, incredibly gifted speakers and teachers in the church whose personal lives have gotten completely off the rails and out of whack. And guess what happened to everything they preached and taught? Nobody cares about it anymore. Why? Because their personal life was, was, was off. And most of the time, the story goes the same way with these people. They got further and further away from the people that they were ministering to until most of the people that they were ministering to or working with would have said, I really didn't know him or her. They would show up on Sunday, they would deliver a message, then they'd be flying out, you know, Sunday afternoon to go and teach this other thing. But we really didn't know them. The Christian life is meant to be lived in community. It's meant to be lived life on life. And this is just one example. It's tiny, but it's real. Paul and Timothy. He was doing life with Timothy, involving Timothy in everything that he did, even in writing this letter. Timothy's a part of this. How else was Timothy going to learn how to do what Paul was doing except to do it right alongside Paul? (coughs) Ministry cannot be taught via theory. It has to be hands-on. That's why you're here, right? Because you're going to get lots of hands-on ministry experience in these next few months that you wouldn't get. Are you with me, everybody? Okay. Paul and Timothy. So not only is Paul walking life out with Timothy, but Paul's giving Timothy place, giving Timothy authority, giving Timothy a name. Timothy's risen through the ranks, and he now stands shoulder to shoulder with Paul. That's what mentoring is supposed to look like. If you're going to be in ministry, you need to be a mentor. Period. I've really tried hard for the last 10 years or so to always have at least one or two people that I'm trying to bring in close and do life with. That's always important to me. And I don't have any method to the madness other than that, other than bring them in close. I don't have a curriculum I take people through. I don't have a, uh, like, you need to read these six books. I don't, I don't do any of that. One, because I don't want to have to be like, did you read those books? I'm not interested in that. <laughs> I have deep life conversations with people. I ask them to be completely honest with me, and I'm completely honest with them, even when it's not necessarily pretty. I try and do. Not that I'm I'm not any I'm not Apostle Paul, so please don't hear me saying that. I'm trying to follow his example though. Servants of Christ, he says. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ. Awesome. It's very interesting to me that in this letter, Paul does not say an apostle called by God, like establishing his apostolic authority. He does do that in several other letters. 
Most of the time, it's because there have been people that have been raised up in that church that are going, that Paul guy doesn't know what he's talking about. So Paul's like, listen up. I didn't give myself this authority. Jesus gave me this authority, and you don't, did, can you say that? Okay, then shut up. Okay, I mean, I'm assuming you guys are going to go through undercover this year. Is that true? I think first years almost always do. John yes. Bevere. Yeah. First years will go through John Bevere's undercover. You've got to learn how to operate under authority. Just do. I stand in full agreement, 100% agreement with the Indiana District of the Assemblies of God. <laughs> I just taught at the Indiana School of Ministry uh, thing, and I was teaching the curriculum they gave me on the end times which you guys know I don't necessarily agree with completely. But I was teaching the curriculum, and anytime they tried to, like, nail me down, so what do you think about this? I was like, I wholeheartedly agree with the idea of this. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to say anything else. I'm just, <laughs> if you want to pass the test, this is what you need to learn. But, uh, yeah, I agree with 99.9% .9 of what I taught in that class. Just a couple things that I had to say but anyway <laughs> to all the saints at philippi the capital of macedonia okay so to all the saints at philippi uh the church of philippi was founded by paul so oh, i already told you that okay to the overseers and deacons again working in authority he's preaching this the overseers and deacons are what we would refer to now as pastors okay um, the church at Philippi, we don't know how big it was, but we assume it was several hundred people large. And there were multiple people there in amongst the body that would have been referred to as overseers or deacons. Now, overseers had one job and deacons had another, as far as we could tell. Okay, Overseers were more of the kind of pastory guy, and deacons was more like the board. But the Apostle Paul says, I'm giving this letter to pastor at Philippi, and you can... Take this to your people if you want to. But he was following the chain of authority and anointing and calling because he respected it, and we should as well. Okay, verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Why are you laughing? Because we're just at verse 2, and it's 11 o'clock. We've got a whole other hour. What do you worry about? If we only get through two verses today, that will just be very normal. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so there were lots. Three words. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> this is how I study. Okay, I'm just giving it to you. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, this greeting: grace and peace, grace and peace, grace and peace. People call them the Siamese twins of the New Testament because they're always together. Grace and peace, and there's a reason for that. Paul's preaching to a, an audience made up of two ethnic groups, probably more than two, but two major categories of ethnic group, Jew and Gentile. Okay, He's got Jews in his audience, and he has Gentiles in his audience. Now, his Jews are Messianic Jews that, fought, that are following Jesus, but they're still culturally Jewish. In fact, many of them probably still observed like dietary law and they still went to synagogue. And Because a lot of the Jews at this time, even if they were followers of Jesus, would still follow the Jewish law. Because that was how they grew up. They wanted to stay connected to their family. So that's what they did. They would observe Jewish law. 
So, you know, they didn't eat bacon and all the other stuff. Okay, they would still circumcise their sons. And all of that, not out of not out of any, they understood that they didn't have to do that to be acceptable before the Lord, but this is just who they were as a, it's their heritage. So they would continue in it. All right. And then he had Gentiles as well in his audience. Grace was for the Gentiles. They got it. Grace was important to them. Peace was for the Jews. Because what do Jews to this day still say when you say when you greet them? Shalom means peace. Means a lot more than peace. We don't have time to go into the depth of that word shalom. That would be the rest of our hour right there. Shalom, it really would. Because that word shalom means so much more than just peace. My favorite, my favorite kind of phrase encapsulating, encapsulating the meaning of the word shalom is nothing's myth, nothing, nothing is missing, nothing is broken. Shalom. That's good. That's good. Nothing's missing, nothing's broken. That's shalom. I just love that. And to wish that to each other as you go and as you come. Wholeness health, vitality, nothing's missing. I can't say that today. Nothing's missing, nothing's broken. Shalom. I love it. I love it. So good. But shalom comes by grace, which is why we love grace. Okay. All right. What does the word grace mean? Come on, somebody from last year. We talked about this a lot. Grace. Absolutely. Thank you. So true. Okay. Grace. Grace. Now, what does mercy mean? Go. Not being, or not being given something that you do deserve. Correct. Okay. Mercy means I did, you deserve for me to slap you upside the head, but I'm not going to. That's mercy. And we need lots of mercy, don't we? <laughs> Jesus Christ. We deserve every day, we deserve the fire of hell. And every day, we earn it again. Every day, we do things that just, that, that whether we mean to or not, it may not even be, it may not be intentional. It may just be, you know, oops, I'm sorry. But it doesn't matter because one sin deserves eternal punishment. Uno, okay, deserves eternal punishment. That's just reality. And every day we earn eternal punishment again, which is why the, in the uh, Catholic and Orthodox traditions, they're constantly praying, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, because every five seconds I've sinned again. Have mercy! Don't suck me down into hell right now, even though I really deserve it. I, we do. We absolutely do. But we have mercy. God's had mercy on us because of the cross of Jesus Christ. And he doesn't see our sin. He sees the perfect righteousness of his son that we are clothed in. And that is very, that, that we have been made righteous, declared righteous by the cross of Jesus Christ. So God is not mad at you. Oh, I just love saying that because it's true. God's not mad at you. Okay. <laughs> Just want to prophesy that because it's just good. All right. Because he's not mad at you. Because of Jesus, he's not mad at you. We live in God's mercy. 
And anything we receive over and above, mercy just brings us to zero. That's all mercy does. Mercy brings us to zero. We had a debt, so we were in the negative. Mercy brings us to zero. Bloop, so now we're at zero. Now God's, God's opinion towards us is not good or bad because he's shown us mercy. Okay? Grace takes us into the positive. Grace is, not only am I going to forgive all your sins and everything you did bad, I'm not going to hold against you anymore. That's mercy. Grace is, now let me give you things over and above. Amen? So everything we receive from God, including every breath of our bodies, every beat of our hearts, every thought of our brains, is grace, 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 grace. You know, the fact that you even exist is grace. Isn't it good? I like existing, personally. It's fun for me. <laughs> it's grace. God's pouring out grace to you. So when the Apostle Paul says grace and peace, he is saying a whole lot more than just grace and peace. I think we need to start taking up some of these uh, verbiages again. I have started praying a lot of ancient prayers. I'm going to introduce you guys to some of them this year, I think. I've started praying a lot of prayers that are hundreds of years old. Uh, that's one of them. Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. That's that's just a repetitive phrase. And there's so many times when I'm just walking through my life going, Oh, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. But uh, I love some of these old patterns of talking. There was a reason why when they would see each other, that is the way that we greet one another and that's the way we part from one another. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. Because we've been saying a mouthful with those two words. Grace is the answer to whatever it is you need. Grace. Okay? Grace to you. Amen. And peace. Nothing's missing. Nothing's broken. <coughs> yes, Lord. Amen? Is everybody awake in this room right now? Just slap yourself in the face one time. Or this. Those of you wearing glasses may want to remove them first. All right, everybody stand up, because you guys are just like sunk into this. Stand up, stretch up to the ceiling. Oh, God is good. Yes. Stretch up to the ceiling, say, I'm God's favorite. I'm God's favorite. And then you can sit down. Okay. taking a knee. Okay. Yeah. Grace and peace. Verse three. We are flying. Flying. I know. Just call me Speedy Gonzalez. Um. I thank my God in every remembrance of you. Okay, I'll tell you what. It is rare that a pastor or leader can honestly say this to a group of people. Can I just say that to you? I'm, I'm always going to be entirely honest with you. Okay, just, just know that right now. Sometimes that means I'm going to say things that you're going to be like, that might have been a little too honest. 
But that's just, I don't see any reason of holding anything back. So I, I'm just going to be completely transparent and honest at all times with you. Um, it is really rare that a pastor or a leader can say of any group of people they are leading, boy, I thank God every time I think of you. Because we might thank God half the times that we think of them. <laughs> or 75% of the times that we think of them. But to say, honestly, I mean, it's in the Bible, so this must be true. He wasn't kidding around. I thank God every time I remember you. Man, wouldn't it be, I actually I have it in my notes, wouldn't it be nice if I felt that way about everybody I ministered to? Because <laughs> there are people, okay? I'm just, you got to understand, ministry would be amazing if there weren't any people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I like talking to myself. <laughs> if I could talk to myself and make a living, that's what I would do. Um, Depends on the Sunday, I guess. <laughs> well, no. And I, I adore the body of Christ that the Lord's given me in Fremont. I adore them. And I pray for them. And I weep over them. And, and my heart goes out to them. And I have great compassion for them all the time. But I cannot say that I thank God for each of them every time I think of each of them. There are definitely people in the congregation that there are times when I'm like, I'd like to thank you for this person. I would thank you if you kept them away. <laughs> I told you I was going to be honest. I didn't name names. And the truth is, I don't feel that way about anybody all the time. But strive to be one of those people that your pastor is able to thank God for every time that he thinks of you. Will you do that, please? Can you, can you do that? Can you do that for Nathan and Sophie and the other leaders of the IMC team? Can you do that, please? Can you be one of those people in this group that every time they think of you, they're like, man, I'm so grateful they're a part of who we are. Because you have the ability. I can't even tell you how encouraging some of the people in our, in our body are. I had a, a gentleman yesterday, and he is just Mr. Practicality, which I am not. I am not Mr. Practicality at all. I am Mr. Don't Tell Me the Details. <laughs> I am Mr. Someone else take care of the details. I don't want to. I'm going to. I'll just give you the vision. Here it is. We're going to China. And you're going to be like, but I need people in the nursery. I don't care. We're going to China. <laughs> Someone else figure that out. That's why I have a wife. Praise the Lord for her. Okay. It's just the truth. Because I'm like, I'm, I'm big picture man. And I'm not small individual. You know, and and I, I'm really glad I know that about myself. Because now I can put people around me that, that can maintain, that, that they are all about the little details. They have trouble with big picture. They're like, I don't have time to think about the big picture. I only have time to think about this detail, this, 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 this. Okay, so I can surround myself with people like that where I'm going to hold them accountable to the big picture and they're going to hold me accountable to the details. Okay, that's a beautiful thing. And this guy is one of those guys and he notices things that are broken or missing or whatever in the church. He just notices those kind of things. Something that's going wrong, I don't notice them. You didn't notice that gigantic hole in the wall? No, I didn't notice it. I don't notice it. I just don't. I don't notice those things. I would walk right past it, not even see, because I'm just like, Jesus, 
Jesus, just walk right by. And I don't see. And they're like, but there's a hole in the wall. You know, we don't have time to pray. We need to get out the spackle. <laughs> Praise the Lord for those people, okay? I love those people. But that's not me. So this guy calls me a few months ago. And he's like, hey, the microwaves in the kitchen don't work. And I was like, we have microwaves in the kitchen? <laughs> really? <laughs> he goes, I already took them down. I already went through all of the parts inside the microwave. I was like, there's parts inside a microwave? <laughs> I just, you know, just beep, 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 go. You know, it's not like a car, right? He's like, I already looked at the magnetron. And the I don't even know what's in there. I'm like, don't tell me about the, the inner workings of the mystery microwave. I don't, <laughs> exactly. And how's the flux capacitor? Is it fluxing properly? <laughs> Is the inline on the rotary girder? Okay. I don't know, man. I don't know. What he's, I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And he's like, I can't fix them. They're not fixable. It's going to be cheaper just to buy new ones. And I was like, okay. He goes, I'll go buy them and install them. I'll just give you a receipt. I said, I love you. Please do that. That would be great. <laughs> Let me check with my other detail guy to see if we have that much money in the bank, which we did. So praise the Lord. So. He took care of the whole thing. He got them installed. They're working beautifully now. And I'm like, do you know how encouraging you are to me? And he's like, what? This was no big deal. I'm like, I know. But the very fact that this was no big deal for you is a big deal for me. When the body of Christ is working the right way and everybody is put into, the, into their position, into their spot, into the place with, you know, the niche that God's called them to. And everything's working beautifully. <laughs> The, the, the guy that's in leadership is going to be full of joy, encouraged and excited, and he's going to be like, let's keep going. And the fact that the Apostle Paul could say this of this group means that they had something figured out. They knew what it meant to operate under authority and to, to be who they were supposed to be. That's why they thought about the fact, you know, Paul didn't send them a letter saying, somebody send me something. I'm going to prison. That didn't happen. It would, they were like, Paul's in prison, what can we do? And that's the way that people that love each other operate. And they sent Epaphroditus. They were like, dude, I mean, how do you even shorten that name? Eep. <laughs> Good old Path. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. Anyway, so Epaphroditus... They're like, dude, you and Paul are close. Here, take this money. Take this stuff. Take some books because you know Paul. He likes to read, right? You know, get And get up there and take care of this guy. Somebody in that church was thinking about someone other than themselves, and it's a beautiful thing. And that's why Paul was able to say, I thank my God in every remembrance of you. Plus, this church is not squabbling over stupid stuff. They're just taking care of one another. In fact, he doesn't have, a, have to send a scolding letter. It's the last thing any pastor wants to do is to bring correction. It's not fun. Have you ever seen like the, the video of the guy on YouTube? It's a pastor that gets up and he's just like, guys, jeez. Every pastor has felt that way at some point in their life. Where during the week, just five people do stupid things. And you just want to get up on Sunday and be like, have you heard anything that I have told you? It's a beautiful thing. Verse 4. 
always offering prayer with joy and my every prayer for you all. Again, his affection for this people is obvious. Prayer with joy. Paul often refers to praying for the churches that he planted. Often refers to praying ardently for the churches that he planted. Paul understood the truth. He figured it out at some point. That though he was an incredibly intelligent man, that though he was an incredibly gifted leader, that though he was uh, unbelievably capable as a leader and a teacher in the church, that the only, the best thing he could do for the churches he planted was pray for them. Do you pray for your leaders? Do you pray for the leaders of Impact Masters Commission? Do you pray for the pastoral staff of this church? Do you pray for Pastor Don Gifford and David Delp and uh, Jeff Carlson and the guys at the district office? I'm missing about five of them, but forgive me, Lord. They don't listen to this podcast, so we're good. I hope, I hope not. <laughs> if you're listening, <laughs> I didn't mean all that stuff I said about these episodes. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I fully support the Indiana District of the <laughs> be praying for each other it literally is people say all i can do is pray are you kidding me i just want to smack people when they say that all i can do is pray that is that should have been the first thing you did and it should be the last thing you do and everything else that you do and sure there's other things you should do but everything else that you do should be bathed in prayer we got to get on our knees folks we need a life that is saturated with prayer, led by, driven by. I love the whole picture of Jesus right after he comes up out of the water and the, the dove of the Holy Spirit comes and lands on his shoulder and, and, and the voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. You know, this, this incredible moment, this incredible spiritual encounter with God. What's Jesus' next move? Does he launch a podcast and a website? And is it, you know, River Encounters, his first book? No, the Bible says the Holy Spirit drove Jesus to the wilderness to pray. Jesus left one of the most powerful encounters of, with God in his human life, and he follows it up with what? Seeking the face of his Father for 40 days and nights. He doesn't coast on that revelation for the next few years. Well, once the, uh, once the movie comes out, then I'll start praying about the next thing. No, man. He's like, now that I know who I am, let me get in touch with this. Now, Jesus knew before, but there was this fresh revelation of a change in the, in the season of Jesus' life that he was beginning a new season of life, and he knew he needed God to fully fill him up and and. and Make it known to him exactly what he was supposed to do. So he went off into the wilderness. Driven by the Holy Spirit. When's the last time the Holy Spirit drove you to pray? And I'm not talking about uh, the, where your, how much money's in your bank account drove you to pray. That's not the Holy Spirit driving you to pray. I'm not talking about uh, somebody sick. And that's, and, you know, those, that, those aren't 
those are circumstances driving you to pray. When's the last time the Holy Spirit drove you to pray? How many times did he try to drive you there and you were like, can we stop at Starbucks? I love Starbucks. I mean, I've got some right here, but just FYI. Sometimes a detour is not a good idea. Always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. In view, verse 5, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. This word participation, does some other, somebody else have a different word? Partnership, love it. Anybody else? Different word? Okay, the Greek word here is koinonia. Okay, which means partnership, also means fellowship. It also means participation. And this is the word that we that is used for the the celebration of the Lord's Supper as well, communion. Koinonia. It's a very special word. It's a word we need to pay attention to in the New Testament because it's literally talking about the symbiosis of the body of Christ. I love that word. Do you know what that word means? Symbiosis it means life together. Life together. What does it mean when two, uh, two different animal species are symbiotic with one another? Anybody? They live, they live together. They live together and they benefit each other. Exactly. Exactly. They bring. It's we've got two things. You're just you're just hitting it with the definitions today. I'm smart, man. You're awesome. So <laughs> the picture is we are better together than we are apart. We both bring something beautiful to the table, and we are we are more together. Then we are apart. It's that the, the, the whole is, is greater than the sum of its parts. That picture, that symbiosis, that's koinonia. And that's what the church is. This is something the Western church does not understand. Everybody's like, it's just me and Jesus. You know, I mean, I, do you know how many people I've had, who have told me? I well, I don't go to church on Sunday morning because I watch this thing on television. He's just the greatest preacher ever. Okay, he is just the greatest teacher ever. N no, not okay. I just want to grab people by the shoulders and shake them like that. <laughs> Look at this. Your koinonia in the gospel from the first day until now. You are a part of something bigger than yourself. You And you can't do that sitting in your underwear on your Barker lounger. It's not enough. You got to be a part. And that you are robbing the church of what you bring to the table when you sit at home and sour on your couch. And not only that, you're robbing yourself of everything the church brings to you because that teacher on the TV might be great. But you don't have anybody standing next to you when you're hurting, when you're broken, when you're confused. That's, what, that's one of the things I love most about this group right here because you're going to learn in these next few months what koinonia really looks like. And my friends, it is messy, it is ugly, it is smelly sometimes, it is hard, it is difficult. But it's worth it. Worth it. 
koinonia, doing life together. The gospel always creates community. And if there's no community, there was no gospel. That's the truth. And that is a pretty scathing statement to make against the Western church because we are terrible at this. We're more interested in how many people are sitting in a room on Sunday morning all facing the same direction, not talking to each other. We love to we love worship services that are dark so that we don't have to listen to or even look at the other people in the room. I think we would all love a worship service where we all just put in our own earbuds and went and listened to our favorite worship album. What a great time! No! Not okay! I'm constantly, constantly having to say to my my 15, almost 16-year-old, pull your head out of that phone and connect with human beings. We are this close to having a complete ban on electronic devices during, like, your home from school now time. Because it is a huge fight to get them to disengage from the device and engage with each other. If we don't work at it, what happens is everybody's in their own place engaging with the device and no one's engaging with each other at all. That's what happens when we don't work at it. When we do work at it and it's hard work and it is not always the most fun, then we're engaging with each other. Do you know how sick that is? Do you know how inhuman that is? We are social uh, creatures. And there are whole parts of our brain that will starve and die without social interaction. It's the truth. And it is not okay that we're just kind of like, now I am, I am, no, I, I have a trouble convincing people of this, but I am an introvert. Okay? I'm a site-specific extrovert. Where I will, when I'm at church or when I'm doing something, you know, where I need to engage with other people, I'm capable of doing that. I do that. I don't, I, I enjoy it. But it drains me. When I'm done, I'm exhausted. There's some people that like the swirl of the crowd is where they get their energy. And being alone is what drains them. And I, I am the opposite of that. Which, you know what? If that's you, God bless you. I wish I had that gift. Really do. I wish that I wish that being with other people was something that gave me energy. But it's not. It just sucks the life out of me. It desiccates me. It's like somebody puts a straw in me and just goes. And when I walk away, I'm just. You know? So I just got nothing left. I saw a meme once of, a, of like a. Like a like a, 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 a gas tank and ease right here and then the, the dial's like actually pointed like down here and it's like this is the introverted pastor after every Sunday I was like that is so me <laughs> this is exactly how I feel so often I will I will get home and I will literally crawl up the stairs just I'm not eating lunch I'm just gonna go to bed my wife's like whatever you know leave me with the kids Because I only have a 
a tank of energy that's so full. And when it when it's drained, it's drained. And I cannot run on fumes. <laughs> so it's like, I need, I usually take all of Monday and just hide. <coughs> like, my wife is allowed to be with me, but no one else. Don't speak to me. <laughs> the phone rings. I'm like, I'm not answering it. You answer it. I just don't have any energy left. But that doesn't mean that I can withdraw from community completely. I have my time where I'm going to be alone. I'm going to recharge my batteries. I'm going to connect with Jesus. I'm going to connect with my wife. I'm going to connect with my kids. Maybe. <laughs> I am not a good dad when I have no social energy left. But I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm irritable. I'm cranky. And I'm just like, will you stop being a child? <laughs> It's not cool. I have to have some social energy left to engage with my kids. But um, my wife knows this, and so I'll just be like, I've got nothing left. <coughs> and if we continue in this course of action, I will kill one of our children. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's just true, okay? <laughs> I know this about myself, and so I and I know how to recharge my batteries, and so I engage in that. I engage in that because community is absolutely vital and important. It is absolutely vital. You have to understand, Christianity is not something that can be done in a vacuum. It's not something that can be done by yourself. You cannot be a Christian by yourself. Let me give you a clue, God is a community. Okay, think about that for a minute. And God has never changed. God has always been as he is. So do you think he created anything that was meant to be alone? What was the only thing that God said was not good in the Garden of Eden? It's not good for the man to be alone. Everything up until that point was, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's really good. Wow, it's good, it's good, it's good. Not good. Not good. Adam's by himself. Not good. So God created woman. Praise God. <laughs> Let's just have a praise moment right now. <laughs> <laughs> when a man's like, yes, thank Lord for woman, and the woman's like, yes, thank God for me. Yes. <laughs> amen. Yes, that's exactly right. And we all said amen. 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 Community. Amen. I want to say this too. I don't know how many of you are are feel uh, have that you have a call towards a vocational call in ministry. I don't know. Um, I know that uh, not everybody that does master's commission has that call in their life, and that's totally great and fine. Let me say this, just as a very much rabbit traily side note. Okay, we should not be encouraging people to have a call to ministry.
I just, we shouldn't. Everybody that is, that is a Christian is meant to live kingdom life, and that means to do ministry. But most Christians, most, are not called to vocational ministry. And I feel like we put too much of an emphasis on vocational ministry in the church. I feel like we have created our church structures and systems to, like, roll out a bunch of people that are called to the ministry. I mean, if everybody that called that got called to the ministry at youth camp actually went into full-time ministry, we'd have nobody in our churches. Okay? Most people are not called to vocational ministry. Most people are called to do a job and be the kingdom in the midst of that job, in the midst of their family, and be connected to a community that is a gospel-formed community in that region so that the light of Jesus can go out into the world. The truth is, those that are called to fivefold ministry are the ones that are called not to minister. We are called to prepare the church for the work of ministry. That's Ephesians chapter 4. Go look it up if you're mad at me right now. I don't care. It's Ephesians chapter 4. I think it's verse 11. The fivefold ministries are the ones that are called to prepare the body for the work of the ministry. That doesn't mean we're not going to do ministry outside of the church. Of course we are. But that's not our primary job. Our primary job, according to Scripture, is to prepare the body. It's to get the people who aren't called to this vocational place where we're locked up inside of a church most of the time and we really can't spend our time rubbing elbows with people 24 hours a day because we're just trying to keep the, the church in working order. The church is the one that is called to be out there in the world and changing the planet, not pastors or evangelists or apostles or prophets. Those fivefold ministry gifts are for the body, not for the world. I know that's backwards from the way we've always been taught, but that's the truth. Now, of course, all of those people are called just like everyone else to be a witness everywhere they go, and we must be. We must be. But my primary calling is to prepare the body to do the work of ministry because I am called to one of the fivefold ministry gifts. Therefore, we should not be telling people, maybe someday you'll be called to the ministry. No, stop doing that, church. Stop. Don't worry. If God wants to call somebody, the message will get through. But let's not put this expectation on every poor teenager that comes to youth camp. Maybe one of you will be called to ministry. Stop doing that. It just, it really does bug me. I gotta be honest with you. So that's my side trailie, rabbit trailie thing. Just put that over there in its own capsule and we'll talk about it some other time. The reason I mention it is because, uh, it is important that we understand as people who are called to vocational ministry, full-time ministry, that we have to be plugged into this community as well. We are not over community or apart from community. And I have had leaders that I respect and love in the body of Christ say things to me like, when you're in leadership, you can't have friends. <laughs> 
And I didn't do it because I do respect and honor these people. But I wanted to say, get thee behind me, Satan. That is a lie from the pit of the enemy. And it's not okay. If you're not deeply connected to the koinonia of the body that you're in, you're unhealthy. Period. Now, is it easy to have friends? No, it's not because people look at you as a leader. People kind of look at you as other and they're kind of hold you up to some kind of weird standard. That's why I like to be a little more outrageous with people when I'm with them in a friendship context and I will say things that are a little meaner than I would actually, you know, just to kind of push myself out of that. He's the pastor. He's holy kind of a thing. You know, my wife and I will have fights in front of church members, not knockdown drag outs, but just like, you know, we don't stage them. Okay. We're just being ourselves. But I know lots of pastoral couples that were like, we would never fight in front of a church member. And I'm like, then what do you do? <laughs> do you just avoid each other? Like, I don't understand that. It's the same thing about like people like we don't fight in front of the children. And I'm like, then how are they going to learn how to fight? <laughs> there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it in marriage. There's a right way to have a fight and a wrong way to have a fight. And I personally believe in marriage. If you're not fighting, you're not communicating. That's my opinion. Sorry. Now, does that mean I'm saying unkind things to my wife or I'm belittling, belittling her in any way? Lord, I hope not. Does that happen every once? And yeah, I mean, I'm I am human, but I hope that's not. But we're having you know an emotional disagreement. <laughs> okay. <laughs> They're beautiful things. Thankfully, most emotional disagreements lead to emotional reagreements. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> told you I'm going to be honest with you. So just, you know. Okay, the community. The All right. And I love that he says, he says, in view of your koinonia in the gospel from the first day until now. Okay. This koinonia had a beginning, but it will not have an end. That's something else you need to understand. Heaven is going to be just as much about our connection to our brothers and sisters in Christ as it is about our connection to Jesus. God is a community. And this relationship, this family that we've, that we've been brought into, hey, family is always people you did not choose to be with. I mean, think about it. Would you have picked the parents God gave you? <laughs> <laughs> there's some of you that are so scared of your parents that you're like yes they are they're the parents I would have chosen <laughs> and yes you love them but if you had to pick them out of a lineup but if you do not hate them <laughs> I don't want you to hate your parents I just want you to have an honest opinion no it's just the, uh, the, the devotional that I lived with you this morning it's like if you do not hate your mother and father <laughs> <laughs> That's a comparison statement, my friends. Yes, it is. That is a comparison statement. 
It's compared to my love for Jesus. My love for my mom looks like hatred. That's, that's, it's like comparing a light. It's like comparing a flashlight to the sun. Okay. Look at the sun for a minute, then look at a flashlight and be like, that's not a light at all. Right. Okay. So don't, Jesus is not saying, hate your parents, hate your brothers. Jesus never said hate anybody. Now, I mean, there are things that he wants you to hate. I often ask the Lord to, I, I, I tell Jesus this all the time. Almost every week in our church, we pray, Jesus, we want to love what you love and we want to hate what you hate. And I do want to love what he loves and hate what, but he loves my parents. From the first until now, this is these are eternal relationships here, in, which is kind of exciting, isn't it? You're gonna be in relationship with the people in this room forever. Some of you are just like I need a Sanex. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true, and it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> 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 I'm sorry, am I not allowed to mention like depression medication? Um, <laughs> or was that just a little bit too true? Okay. From the first until now. It began, but it's not yet completed. For I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Is there a more encouraging statement than that one? Oh, Lord, you got something started in me, and you are going to finish it. You're not going to give up. You're not walking away. You're not going to get so frustrated in my forward motion that you're like, that's it, I quit. God's never going to quit on you. I used to say to my youth group all the time, if you don't quit, you win. That's the truth of Christianity. You're going to fall down. You're going to scrape your knee. You're going to have difficult times. Some of this is going to really suck. Let's just be honest. Some of it's going to be really hard. It's going to be really difficult. And you're going to want to quit. But that's the only way to lose. If you don't quit, even though you're going to fall down a million times, even though you're going to make a million mistakes, if you don't quit, Victory is assured. Just stay in. Stay signed up. Stay on the team. We're going to get there together. Because who started this work in you? Wasn't you. It was God. And he got it started. And it's his responsibility to bring it to, to an end. He's going to complete it. Thank the Lord. Amen? Confident. Fully, this word, for I'm confident, the Apostle Paul says, fully and firmly persuaded or convinced. That's what that word means. Fully and firmly persuaded or convinced. The language of a man who has not doubt on the subject, says Albert Barnes. I love that. The Apostle Paul actually believed this. Oh, there are so many times when I look at Christians and I'm like, I don't even know if God can do that. I mean, come on, people. 
<laughs> Haven't you looked at yourself and been like, Lord, I know you can do anything. But this is a toughie right here. Me. Come on, I've been there. Lord, I made this mistake again. Lord, I said something stupid. My mouth is just surgically attached. To, I mean, my foot is surgically attached to my mouth at this point. I don't know what's, I don't know what you're going to do. When is this ever going to, and Paul's like, no, I'm fir, I'm fully and firmly persuaded. I'm convinced. I have no doubt on this subject that he that began a good work in you will bring it to completion. The church that Paul did not rebuke, Christ did not finish his work in them. He was working and he will be faithful to complete it. This is the truth. And it's good news. That God got this started and God's going to finish it. He is the originator and he is the worker. God is at work in us. He has not stopped working and he will continue until it reaches its end. Have you remember that song? He's still working on me. <laughs> no? It's an old AG song. To make me what I ought to be. Took him just a week to make the moon and the stars. Sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. Oh, how patient he must be, because he's still working on me. Praise the Lord. That was, Pastor Barry would have been singing that one with me, man. I'm telling you right now. There is an end, okay? And here's the beautiful thing. The book of Romans tells us this, that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. We're not going there. <laughs> we don't have time. We have 10 minutes. We're not going there. You are, I just want you, but let's just, let's just hold this thought. Okay, because I know the fact, I know the truth that some of you are discouraged. That you've run across the same issue, the same problem, the same sin, the same uh, mistake a thousand times. And you don't honestly know if you believe that God's going to get you out of it. The promise of scripture is this. You were predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. That at the end of the day, you're going to look just like Jesus. And we need to know that. We need to know. Right now, in this very moment, the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same Holy Spirit that hovered over the face of the waters before God spoke and then light came from nothing, that same Holy Spirit is at work on the inside of you right now, today, and he's not tired, and he's not worried. He is forming you into the image of Jesus right now. And some of us, yeah, it's going to take longer for some of us than for others. For some of us, there's going to be one lesson that you're going to, we're going to die still learning that lesson and we're going to get to heaven and Jesus is going to be, it's okay. We're good. Well done. 
is Jesus didn't ask us to have it all figured out. He just asked us to follow him. Just keep walking that direction. Whether you go an inch or a thousand miles, if you're still walking that direction, you're okay. There shall be nothing lacking on God's part to support you, to make you wise, holy, and happy, and bring you at last to his kingdom and glory. Let me read that again. There shall be nothing lacking on God's part to support you, to make you wise, holy, and happy, and bring you at last to his kingdom and glory. Thank you, Adam Clark. That's from Adam Clark's commentary. Let's pray. Oh, what a promise, Jesus. What a beautiful, glorious, reassuring, refreshing promise. Lord, this promise uh, uh, applies to us personally. You are working on me. You're working on Josh. That you've begun a good work in me and that you will be faithful to bring it to completion. But it also applies to the koinonia, the fellowship. This participation that we're in. This symbiosis. That God, you've begun a good work in us. And you will be faithful to complete it. That there will be a day when the church, the bride of Christ will reveal to the earth your glory. When the church, the bride of Christ, will shine like the stars in the heavens, where the glory of Jesus will be seen by the principalities and powers in heavenly places, by the elders that fall down before your throne, by the angels They will look upon the bride of Christ and they will see reflected back to them the image of the Son of God. Lord, that's real and that's true. And we glorify you because we can't do it, Lord, but you are doing it. So my prayer as we leave this time of study, as we leave this time where we're sitting around the bonfire of your word, Lord, I pray that what we carry away from this place would be this, to choose to respond to this word by participating with you, by yielding to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, by agreeing with and cooperating with the work of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us to make us more like Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would take every opportunity that we have to say yes to your work on the inside of us. I pray that we would open up the scriptures and we would let the water of the word wash through our souls so that we can be made more like Jesus. I pray that we would spend time pursuing you, pursuing your glory. Not that you're far away, but that the fog of our own brains and the fog of our own sin and the fog of our own stupidity And the lies that we've come to believe hide your face from us. That we would spend time pushing through to see who you are. 
And that when the Holy Spirit shines his light on some part of who we are that you want to work on, that we wouldn't run away just because it might be painful, but that we would lean into the lessons you want to teach us. Jesus, you're the best leader in the universe. Lead on, and we'll follow in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Very possibly the first time in IMC history that I have finished class before it was actually time to leave. But I have two hours now. I'm, I'm all excited about this. Any questions? We have like five minutes. Cool. I know you've been drinking from a fire hose for two hours, so I understand. All right. Well, read forward. Just continue to read in the book of Philippians. I can't guarantee we'll get through six verses every week, but <laughs> we did. I did. That's pretty fast. <laughs> All right. It was an honor meeting you guys, and God bless you. Have a great lunch. <laughs>